to the Bean Ninjas podcast, where you get an all-access pass to see what happens behind the closed doors of a fast-growing global bookkeeping and financial reporting business. Hey, welcome to the Bean Ninjas podcast. This is Anthony Chansamuth, and I have with me Nathan Barry, the founder of ConvertKit. And um, Nathan, welcome, and thanks for joining us all the way from Boise, Idaho. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me on. Now we're uh, using, you know, Zoom, which is a tool that's kind of getting a lot of share value right now. <laughs> um, just yes, in current, yeah. In current climate, we are in the midst of COVID-19 and we're going to talk a bit about uh, why don't we just start there because it's actually top of mind and it is, you know, the hot topic right now. Um, and but before we jump into that, I'm going to give people a bit of background because I'm going to assume not everyone in the whole world knows who you are, even though a lot of us in the, in the tech world know it um but uh so previously nathan uh you were a designer an author a blogger um some of those things i can see definitely manifest in what you're doing with convertkit um and then you learned power uh, after learning the power of email marketing you gave up your successful blogging career to build convertkit uh which is a SaaS or a software as a service product um that helps uh, businesses with email marketing um you Outside of, this is what I like, outside of work, you like to play soccer, you do some woodworking and you chase after your three little boys. Uh, how old are they now? They are eight, five, and then 10 weeks. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, side note, on the very topical aspect of it, I'm so glad that uh, Josiah, my youngest, was born. He was born the first of the year. I'm so glad he's not like born right now. Like yeah. even just uh, like family being able to come come to visit, you know, all of that was easy then, and now would be much more difficult. Yeah, I had a buddy here. I mean, he's he came up for a wedding from London uh, two weeks ago, and uh, he's kind of stranded here, and his daughter's just turned about to turn two, um, and he's freaking out because he's like, "Man, I got to be there, you know, for my kid." Yeah, uh, yeah, and he's like, "The potential is, I might be stuck here for for a month." Like he doesn't know. There's no right. Like there's no timing on right. that yeah so um first of the year is that first of january yep J- first day of the decade is uh, when he was born that's a special date man um it is yeah i'm a i'm a new year's kid as well so uh oh, nice. and coming his son but i wasn't 2020 so that's amazing congrats <laughs> thank you all right so let's well let's now that we're talking about it covid19 all right so kind of hit all of us out of nowhere um and your response, you know, as a company, um, was to create the to announce the Creator Fund, um, which started off as a fifty thousand dollar fund uh, to help cover rent, childcare, medical expenses, groceries for any creators who who might need it. Um, I'm just curious. I think that fund's grown, and you've had partners come on board. So tell us yep. a bit more about that. Yeah. So it was really came out of this feeling of can you feel prepared and helpless at the same time. Because that's that's what we felt of like, on the one hand, we saw this coming as as many people who are paying attention did that like, this is kind of, kind of strange is, you know, natural disasters all over the world that have happened of like earthquakes or tsunamis or these things, you never see them coming, right? There's, there's no way it just happens. You know, you might get a tiny bit of a heads up, but, but that's all. Um, and this one we saw coming from a long way away. Right. It started, it was just a matter of how bad it was going to be. And that was up for debate. And um, in this case, 
you know, working in software and technology and, and uh, social networks and all of that, like we understand exponential growth and viral numbers. And so we realized this is going to be, this is going to be bad. And we got to see it coming from China and then through South Korea. And then like, we all have Italy as an example of like, okay, that's, that's how it plays out when it, it doesn't go well. And, and so uh, from the company side, we've prepared for it and we felt like we were really in a, in a good position. We can talk about some of those things that we did. Um, but then also from the, from the other side, we, we kind of felt helpless and powerless. Like other than getting our ducks in a row and everything squared away, we, we couldn't do anything. And that's when we realized like, okay, in this cycle of refreshing the stats on the Johns Hopkins like dashboard where it looks like the world is going to end and the latest news and the local news and then whatever people comment on, on Twitter, in that cycle, it was like, okay, this isn't serving anybody. And so we realized, okay, let's actually do something. Let's uh, take back this feeling of helplessness and said, um, do something. And, and so we launched the Creator Fund with $50,000 saying, hey, if you've had gigs canceled, you know, uh, if you work as a creator, you work events, you've uh, any of these kind of things. Um, we can't help in a huge way, but we can do up to $500 per creator. Like just apply here, you know, um, whatever you need. Like people were being told, okay, stock up on groceries. And you're like, okay, but what if like I'm a freelancer and that check didn't come in and I don't have the money to stock up on groceries and the grocery stores are like stock is dwindling on everything and, and all of that. So we, we launched that fund. The response was absolutely overwhelming. Um, now the number of people who have applied are way beyond what we can help, but we also had uh, a bunch more partners come on. And so the funds now over $150,000. Um, and and climbing and and the demand is pretty crazy as well. But it felt good to get out there and actually uh, do something rather than just sit back and and like refresh social media in despair. Yeah, and, that, and that's kind of there's two patterns that that we observe, right? Like there's people who are doing that refresh, and and the media is just loving all the negativity. They throw out all these right. stats and things, and um, and I've been cognizant of that and and getting trapped in that. Like you go down a you know, you go down a spiral and you go, oh my God, I can't do anything that helplessness you talk about. Um, and then on the flip side, then you do hear stories of humans doing human things and supporting each other and rallying and um, coming you know, to each other's support and aid and people giving each other toilet paper and, you know, necessities and things yeah. like that's, that's, and I want people to like to remind people of that, you know, like it's, it's, it's the opportunity here is us for, for us to, to rally together. And that's what you're doing with the creator fund. I love that. Um, I think teachable will come on board and some other partners, um, yeah. which is brilliant. Uh, now you did mention, you know, just your own contingency, contingency plan and, and what you did at ConvertKit, um, just for context, what, like how many staff or, or what's your team size and, and what, what did you have to do in order to get ready for that? Yeah. So, um, a few stats about the business were, uh, about 20 million in revenue, um, 50 team members and we're a distributed team. So like the first thing, right. All these companies are having to figure out how to, uh, how to work from home, how to close down their offices, all of that. Um, we, we've been working remotely for seven years. There's no change in that for us. Um, kind of the second thing is as all these businesses are taking a hit, right? You're looking at, okay, how many customers are we going to lose? We're about to enter a very uh, significant recession, way worse than I think anyone thought it was going to be. Like everyone always talks about, oh, we're overdue for a recession. When's the correction going to come? no one expected that it would come in this way and it's going to be very, very severe. And so, you know, the first thing is like, 
our revenue is spread out between a lot of different customers. We've got 28,000 paying customers. Um, the average is people pay us 60 bucks a month. And so we're not worried about losing one giant customer or something like that. But we, you know, we are going to see a contraction overall and we, we expect that. Um, but that has us in a, in a good position. And then the other thing is that we saved aggressively and we planned for this, this time. There's actually, um, we've built up our cash balances. So like we don't have any investors. We've just been bootstrapped, but we have $5 million in cash on hand that we've built up because we've, we've been expecting this. Um, and we actually had a conversation back in November uh, as a whole company. We have a whole thread going in our company base camp of, um, you know, what does it look like when the inevitable recession comes? And like one business model change that we really wanted to get in um, is we've always had a paid product. Uh, it's a free trial, but, but no free plan or freemium or anything like that. And we talked, this was the beginning of last year. We were talking saying, okay, I don't know when the right time is to launch a free plan, but we want to have it launched and in place before the next recession hits. And that was our plan. And we launched it the first of the year. Um, so just two and a half months ago. And it was kind of funny. We were joking. We were like, okay, we, we meant to launch it beforehand. We didn't mean to get the timing that close. <laughs> It was a little wild. So those are some of the things that, that we got in place. And then I think on the team side, um, kind of the other thing that we've been doing is um, just being a voice of calm through all of this. So we see all these companies like freaking out and telling people, okay, you're working from home, but work twice as hard or whatever else. And it's like, what are you doing? Like someone who's stressed and overwhelmed, telling them to work harder or get more done or like make sure to maintain your productivity levels. Like that doesn't help. And so instead what we've been saying is like, Hey, so many of you have kids at home now that schools are shut down, all this stuff, like family comes first, take care of them. Um, if you have time and energy to put into work, like try to create a, try to get like one good or two good 30 minute blocks of focus time in where you like close all distractions and, and all of that. And if you get that done, count the day of success. And so like really lowering the bar because it's really easy as a human to get into this trap of I'm going to try really hard to get this done. Oh, I didn't get it done. I'm a terrible person. I'm going to try harder the next day, but my motivation is even lower. And you get in this like vicious spiral. And so if instead you take the approach and say, okay, anything that I get done is a success and you like really lower that bar, then um, I think you can relieve a lot of stress and, and you can end up being more productive. So kind of last week and this week, that was a lot of our message to the team was like, take care of what you need to take care of, take a step back. And then like, just try to get that one thing checked off the to-do list and call the day a success. I'd really like that. And I think it's, it's quite powerful um, to remind people of that. Uh, yesterday, like per, on a personal level, I was feeling quite strange and I didn't know why. Like I know um, like there wasn't, life's good, life's healthy, like, you know, yep. got a roof my, over my head and these sort of things. And um, for whatever reason, just was in a funk. And I was like, why am I not productive? What, why, why am I not, you know, um, and just to have that voice say, hey, like one or two good things is a win, right? Like that, right. that's, that's what it's about um, and acknowledge that it's not going to be, you know, on, you know, growth on revenue on revenue, like the way that we've been going, like that's going to shift for a little while, you know, and, and it's actually about coming, returning to the idea of it's about humans, supporting humans and, and we all have families, as you say, and we all have priorities outside of work. Um, and, and work needs to be a space that supports that 
because that's why they're there. Like, you know, as much as they love what they're building with you, it's not always about just that. Um, yep. Yeah, that's, that's really strong. All right, so um, let's go rewind a bit because I think for, for what's really fascinating about your trajectory and, and, and where you've gotten to, like you mentioned, your current revenue levels, um, but just how you started that because, you know, you did start off your blogging and you, did, you have a design background um, and your story is out there and there's a ton of podcasts that people can listen to. Um, but I, I just wanted to sort of narrow in on the fact that you're quite an introvert um, and, you know, I don't see you going out in the street going, hey, buy a convert kit. Like that's probably not your strategy. So how did you sort of get your initial sales? Because um, we have a lot of people listening to this who are at that stage where they're thinking, I might want to launch a SaaS or I might want to launch some kind of service or something like that. Um, and how do I get those those initial sales rolling in? Um, and, and how do I do that, especially if I'm an introvert? What, what right. was your, your approach to that? And, and were there any sort of confidence things you need to work through to get there? Yeah. So I I mean, I'm definitely an introvert. I resonate with all the memes going around right now of like, you know, people talking about stay home, you know, don't go out, don't talk to people, like all of that. And and the introverts going like, oh, I've prepared for this moment my whole life. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, it sounds all right. Though I do like the soccer games are all canceled and and that's a bummer. Like I I would love to go out and play soccer. Um, But uh, so with, with ConvertKit, you know, my background is in, it's in design. And so I uh, started out like web design, then into software design and iPhone apps and, and all of that. And the, the biggest thing that I learned from that journey is really around building an audience. So I ended up writing a book about how to design iPhone applications and just started teaching, like writing um, little tutorials on how to use Xcode, how to, what makes a good design, you know, these design principles. And as I put that content out there, people started following it. And it was so different from the experience of like being in person and trying to start a conversation. Years ago, I went to this conference called A List Apart or an event apart. It was put on by the web uh, website, uh, A List Apart, which was big in the web standards movement um, forever ago. And this was in Seattle. I didn't know anybody. I went there. I think I talked to like three people, maybe four the entire weekend. And it was people that like I sat near at lunch where they introduced themselves to me or that kind of thing. Like I didn't say hi to anyone. And I remember this moment of walking back to the hotel where everyone was staying from the conference center along the Seattle waterfront. And I realized that about 30 steps ahead of me is all the speakers. Like six or seven of the speakers from the conference, they're all hanging out together and they're talking and they're laughing and joking. And I'm walking behind them and I'm like just far enough back that it's, like, I'm not part of it, but I realized, oh, I could catch up and I could join that conversation, but I don't know them. They're with friends. And, and I, I just felt so out of place. And then I had this experience a few years later after blogging a bunch and, and um, you know, putting out this content and all of that, where I was at this other conference called MicroConf. And it's, uh, you know, a bunch of people building and building small businesses. And, and uh, I think I was brand new at starting ConvertKit, but my blog was established and I had a bunch of other things going. And, um, in that, you know, saying they're talking to three or four people and somebody came up and like, did like this double take as they walked by uh, and realized like, like they recognized me, they came back and they joined the conversation and they said, Oh man, I, I just have to say hi. I love your content, all of that. And I know that if I went back home without like, and my friends knew I ma- uh, passed up on a chance to meet Nathan Berry, they'd never let me live it down. And I remember it being such a weird moment because the contrast between like, I don't know anyone. I'm not going to introduce myself to 
people want to come up and introduce themselves to me. I was like, what happened in this period of four years? And the difference is that I started blogging, right? Like I just started putting out content and, and I was still the same introvert, but I loved it at conferences now because I didn't have to come up and introduce myself to people. Like someone else would do all the work because I'd put in the time blogging. So that's kind of how it started. And that's also how I grew ConvertKit was just telling the story. This is what I'm doing. This is how to do email marketing and, and, and really putting out all that content, letting people follow along for the story and the journey. That's really cool. Um, did you have to do any like cold outreach as part of that journey? Because, yeah. You know, yeah. I think that's something that like we're going through a process right now. We, we just launched a, an online zero bookkeeping course, basically helps entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. you know, learn how to use zero. Um, and we're finding, yes, you can publish a ton of content, uh, and SEO is working and those sort of things, but sales, the best sales have come from direct sales, like just basically messaging right. someone going, Hey, we think you might just find this useful. Um, what's been your experience around that? Yeah. So content marketing worked really well for me for selling books and courses and um, content like that. But when it came time to sell software and get this new thing off the ground and get it established, it did not work well for me at all. Like people would follow along, but they're like, yeah, but I'm not going to use it. Or it's too much work to switch email tools. And so what I started doing is exactly what you described of direct sales of going after a specific market and saying like, okay, um, this is going to be the best email service for bloggers, but we're going to go even way more specific than that. We're going to go into paleo recipe bloggers who are women. And we're going to make a list of all of them. We're going to men's fashion bloggers in New York City like, and list them out. And then work my way down that list and cold email them and say, hey, um, what I would always do is I'd start with frustrations. And I would say, hey, um, what is it that frustrates you about MailChimp? The reason I ask is I'm building an email product called ConvertKit specifically for bloggers. Um, it's used by, and I'd name drop, I didn't have anyone hardly to name drop, but I named up the most relevant customer I could. And then from there, what it would be is just um, hoping they were like sending that really short email and then hoping they respond with some frustrations. And I got a pretty good response rate. If you're sending cold email, the shorter the email, the higher likelihood that it'll get a response. Because if you write a longer email, I'm like, now I just know you copied and pasted. Like this isn't personal to me at all. Um, but in that, I get those responses. People would say like, oh, I'm frustrated with the way that, like MailChimp doesn't have tags. Um, it's hard to set up content upgrades and these other things. And then I'd say like, okay, that's actually some of the same frustrations I had with MailChimp. That's why I started ConvertKit. Would you be up for getting on a call so I can learn more and then also I can show you a little bit of what I'm building and get people on a call and, and go from there. So it was a lot of direct sales. I basically did a lot of content marketing for the first two years and got almost no traction. So two years in, ConvertKit was doing less than $2,000 a month in revenue. And then I pivoted to going all in on direct sales. And that's when we started to get traction and really grow the business. And so you went from 2000, then you did the, you went in on the, the, the outreach process. Um, at which point did you switch that again and go, okay, this is probably hit a limit in terms of capacity to do that and then how do we really scale this yeah so i mean we still do the direct outreach today oh, awesome. the same same extent we've basically just moved up before it was direct outreach to get any customer and then it was to get any customer that would pay us over a hundred dollars a month and now it's to, to really get any like big name customer right so um we have customers like tim ferris and gretchen rubin and tim mcgraw and um even arnold schwarzenegger and all of them came through like a, an outbound sales process of direct outreach. 
So we still do it today. Um, but it was most important to get that initial momentum going of getting the first few customers who would then refer a few more people and, and go from there. But we, we kept it going heavily, at least through probably 50,000 of MRR, um, which took us, basically, we started 2015 at 2,000 a month in revenue. And we, let me make sure I'm picking the right year, 2015. Uh, I, I can't keep track of the years anymore. Um, but there was a year that we started 2000 a month in revenue and by July we're at 15,000 a month in revenue. And then, uh, by the end of the year, we were just shy of a hundred thousand a month. Cause in that process, like from 15,000 a month and beyond, that's when those referrals really started to kick in and that flywheel um, really started to happen. Yeah, that's really cool. And I remember sort of my first uh, exposure to the product and, and to what you're doing came through the partner webinars. There was a phase where you did a lot of partner um, yeah. webinars with influential bloggers and YouTubers and those sort of things. I'm curious how, how effective that was for you and, and what you learned from that experience. Yeah. So somewhere in that time, probably when we were about 25,000 a month in revenue, we launched an affiliate program and we we're starting to get these bigger customers on board. Um, we'd, we got in Pat Flynn and, and then in the totally different space, we had a website called Wellness Mama. Um, uh, Katie and Seth, who run that, are now really good friends, uh, good friends of mine. And, um, you know, they're starting to get all this traction and talk about it. So we launched an affiliate program and, and they promoted it a lot. Uh, and that was really an exciting time because we got a ton of growth from it. And then you mentioned the webinars, and those were really important because a lot of these affiliates would come on and they would promote us, but like on the resources page or something like that. And a webinar created an event basically of like, okay, now try it. Like let's co-host this thing together and give them a reason to email their list and to make it this full thing. Whereas before it was just like, cool, you're on the resources page. Like you're a recommended resource. I'm sure people will sign up. So the, the webinars end up being really good. And, and we've done hundreds and hundreds of partner webinars at this point. And it's still a key part of our strategy. Um, I just don't do them anymore. We've hired people who are more talented than me to do it because as we mentioned, I'm kind of that introvert who it's like, it's hard when you're live to just like bring this over the top energy for a webinar because it feels way over the top. But then when you're listening to or watching the webinar, it doesn't, it just feels normal. It doesn't feel crazy over the top. So you've had to learn, you know, through all this journey, how to become the CEO. Um, and then what does that mean? So, Give us a bit of insight into like what's your top three priorities as as a person sort of at the top, if you will, um, and what has that has that changed over time? Yeah, so you know, initially it was like design and build the product, and then it was market and sell the product while designing it. And for a while, like that sales and marketing was my core focus. Um. Somewhere in there, it shifted back again to be all about building the product. Um, and, and so a mix of strategy of where we're going long-term and then also just like product design, what features are we coming out with, all of that. So because I, I now, now the company's bigger, you know, we've got a leader in each key area. Um, and so I'm both CEO and director of product. So we kind of have a, a bit of a weird hybrid there in that, like uh, my COO Barrett manages almost the entire business. And so on one side, he, he's the only one that reports to me. And then I have uh, three designers, soon to be three designers. Um, two of them I just hired and they haven't started yet. But 
um, you know, a front-end developer, product manager, and then my assistant who all report to me on the product team. So it's kind of weird filling two roles and it might not work long-term and, and I'm looking to recruit a director of product. But in the meantime, I really, really enjoy it. Of, um, I'm a huge believer in product-driven growth. And so being really involved and being able to actually like design out a feature and, and play with the product and go, okay, this doesn't quite feel right. What do we need to do to get it to the point where it feels right to the users, you know, lots of customer calls, that kind of thing. So now I'd say I'm probably 70% like as a product leader and then 30% um, on the marketing side of like, okay, what does it look like to get out and do podcasts and, and stuff like that, but also um, some of the launching a free plan. How does that fit in the market? How do we promote it? Who do we partner with? Uh, all of that kind of thing. Yeah, so let's let's talk about that the free product um, and and how you arrived at at which point did you first have the idea or, or as a team come up with the idea that perhaps we should go down that path and try that out. Uh, I'm curious about that for just your internal process around new product launches. Um, you know, with the free product, and we can also talk about landing the landing page product. Um, but yeah, just maybe a bit of insight into what was the, the rationale and at which point you, so a few years in now, uh, ConvertKit is, right. is a stable product uh, and you might be working on features that, you know, customers are asking for. Um, but I'm curious at which point did you go, Hey, yeah, maybe it is time to look at the free product. Uh, and, and what's that really about? Yeah. So I've wanted to do a free, a free version of ConvertKit for about three years and people would always ask for it. And I'd give some diplomatic answer of like, well, you know, focusing on paid customers or whatever. Um, being bootstrapped makes that hard. Like scaling a business without outside funding, you need every dollar to support scaling. And we knew that somewhere in there, if we were like, we came out with a free plan and people were like, your existing service is not keeping up with like paying users and you're now letting a bunch of people in for free. We knew that wasn't going to be okay. And so we really had to get to a point where the feature base or feature set was rounded out well, you know, and we didn't have people going like, what are you doing over here? We're paying you. And you're putting your attention on people who aren't paying you. Um, Customer support had to be in a really good place for the same reason. And then the infrastructure, like we're getting to the point where we were sending hundreds of millions of emails a month. And actually now we send over a billion emails each month. And that like we had to have no downtime. We like emails had to be going out really quickly. It all had to be squared away before we kind of earned the right to launch a free plan. And then the the other part of it is knowing that by introducing a free plan, we're going to have a bunch of contraction, like a bunch of customers who were like, I was paying you $29 a month, which was our cheapest plan. And uh, free sounds better. Let me do that. And so it's like, okay, do we have enough savings? Um, are we stable enough? Uh, that even though we think long-term a free plan will turn into more exposure, lowering customer acquisition costs, all this stuff and more growth, um, are we willing to take that short-term hit in order to make that happen? How big is that short-term hit even going to be? Um, and so those were all the factors that went into it. Yeah, that's really interesting. Like, and I love that you said, you know, we've earned the right, you know, to, to introduce yeah. a free plan where it's, it's really reversed a lot of the other SaaS out there going, we'll put it out free and then we'll try and, you know, upsell people into a paid product and, and see how that works. And, and some businesses never get there. Um, well, and I think a lot of that is because they don't know whether or not they have a business model. They're saying, let's figure out if we can get users. And then if we can get users, let's try to figure out a business model that works. 
And so we sat there going, okay, we know for sure a business model works. Like people want to pay for this product. And so then the question is, can we, in releasing a free version, can we get far more users and then eventually convert them to paid? And I think in our industry, MailChimp and, and others have proven that that's possible. And so it's like, okay, for our you know, sub-niche, instead of all small business, we're going for uh, online creators. Can we make that happen? And um, it's turned out well. And honestly, the contraction, like the downgrades that we mm. expected, um, to throw some real numbers at it. So our free plan uh, that we came out with has, it's free for up to 100 subscribers. And it includes you know, landing pages product and, and sending broadcasts and all that. Um, but it doesn't include our automations product. Um, okay. And what, what, so we have um, 9,000 cust- 9, paying customers that have under 100 subscribers. So who could say like, okay, I don't need automations that much. I'm going to downgrade to free. And that'd be um, about $250,000 in MRR. Uh, and to give you an idea, we're at 1.7 million in MR. So it'd be a really, like, it took a long time to get to a quarter <laughs> yeah. million of MR. Yeah, it'd yeah. be a very big hit. And so we're like, okay, here it goes, launch. Let's see where it goes. And we started with a slow rollout, a fairly timid launch, and then we've gotten more aggressive with it. And kind of what surprised us is that the downgrades are definitely there, but not to the same extent. We didn't lose 250,000 MRR. We maybe lost twenty thousand, fifteen thousand. Um, a, a lot of people want to keep paying us because they love the business and the brand, or they want to keep the automations or the premium support. And so they're like, "No, I've got under hundred subscribers, but I'm happy to st- like stay paying." And that was great to see. And so now we're looking like, okay, how do we get more aggressive with promoting it and going from there? Yeah, it's really fascinating because I like the numbers approach to this and being that we're an online bookkeeping company, of course, I'm going to throw yep. numbers with you. Um, but just to, to have that in mind and say, okay, well, what is the potential? Let's look at the, the worst case scenario and the best case scenario uh, and let's see how that pans out over a time period, yep. right? So that's really cool. Uh, tell us about the landing page product and, and what that, that, how that came to be and, and what, why that yeah. was driven. Yeah. yeah, so this really set the stage um, for a lot of it because what we found... We were an email product and, and we found that we had tons of new beginners coming to us and this is even before launching a free plan. Um, and then after a while, they'd cancel. And you're like, okay, why did they cancel? They said like, oh, it's too expensive or, or we're not ready. Those are the two most common cancellation reasons. And we dig into it and we're like, okay, that doesn't quite make sense. So then we put like a little sign-up survey when you create your account. It's just like a quick little like answer three questions, um, really informal thing. Um, and some of those questions are like, are you uh, new to email marketing or are you migrating from another tool? If you're new, like, do you have a website yet or, or no website? If you have a website, is it WordPress, Squarespace? Well, you know, we can personalize the journey based on some of those things. And we found that we were getting tons of users who were coming in who said they were a beginner and they had no website. I'm like, well, what are you doing? You can't have email before. <laughs> like, where do you expect to put your opt-in form? Like, what are you doing? You, like if we think about the creator journey of you need some web presence and you need a way to capture email addresses and then you, you know like you go through all of this and we're for like the middle part of the creator journey and not for the beginners but we're getting tons of beginners showing up and so we kind of thought okay what if we added a landing page as part of the product where that's what these people need they don't need a full website they don't need to go buy squarespace or 
like self-host WordPress or something like that, they need a landing page for their new creative venture and they need to be able to collect email subscribers. And so what if we start with that? And we'd always had landing pages as part of our product, but they were honestly pretty lame. You know, it was like more of an afterthought. Um, and so all of last year, we rebuilt the whole landing pages product, went from the four templates that we had to now there's like 35 or 40 templates um, and rebuilt the whole editor and everything and said, I mean, the basic idea was looking at these products like um, lead pages and, and unbounce and instant page and saying like, hey, um, one, if you're using that tool and convert it, you can now cancel it and consolidate it and convert it and save money. Um, but then, you know, with the switch to the free plan, it was like, great, that whole product is actually now free. And so you can, as someone trying out a new creative idea and, and a new venture, like you can launch that totally for free. And as you get traction and that's working, then you can upgrade to a paid, a paid plan. And basically the idea, and we'll see how it plays out. We're only, you know, 10 weeks into that part of the strategy. Um, the idea is that we'll align our product around like that natural creator journey that somebody goes through. Yeah, and I think that speaks a lot to your own journey uh, and, and also just understanding your customer better um, because if you can map your workflow to the way that people do their, their, their normal you know, behaviors, um, and that's we're learning that with what we do as well and, and, and that's really the key because um, you can say, hey, we understand you better than anybody else. Like That's, that's really yep. uh, a strong value proposition. I love it. A um, couple of things I want to talk about is um, just – I've been a user of the product for a long time. Uh, and, and for me, um, when you implemented visual workflow, like to me, that was huge. Yep. Um, and just because I'm a visual, creators being visual, it's like, you know, I need to understand how things are flowing. Um, and then uh, just, I think it's, yeah, the landing pages is a good one too because that's been a, a gripe for a while. <laughs> it's kind of like, okay, there's got to be a better landing page product than this. Um, right. Yeah. So if you came, I mean, if you're using us since before, um, like the visual workflows and visual automations, that that had been 2015 that you started yeah. with ConvertKit probably? That's right. Yeah. I, so yeah, that's yeah. a long time. Exactly. And, and it was like, well, it's, been, it's, been, well, it's been moments where it's like, oh, do I move on? Or, you know, and, yep. but no, but Pat's using it and, you know, and Nathan's cool and these sort of things. And it's like, okay. Um, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm with the whole, uh, even what you do in the Creator Fund. Um, it just shows where, where your attention is and, and what, mm-hmm. what you're really about. Now, um, we're going to wrap up. I don't want to wrap up with the numbers, but um, I do have some accounting questions for you. Um, yeah. And just because we, Curious about how business owners view finances, um, and and that's where we can definitely add value as a business. Um, so, what accounting software are you using for ConvertKit? Yeah, we use um, just QuickBooks Online. So we've got a pretty, I guess, relatively simple setup there. Yeah, I'm not too involved in it, but yeah. Cool. Now, you, I mean, you strike me as someone who does have a good grasp on numbers um and and from what i'm hearing you probably have a, a you're probably coo or you might have a finance person who's stronger um yep. at which point did you decide to bring that person in yeah so um if i could keep my years straight uh it must have been at the end of 2014 i think i can't hmm. i can't keep track of this uh basically uh we had five or six people on the team and we we're growing really quickly. It was in that time when we, we, you know, we went from 30K a month to 50K to 80K, like just month after month. Yep. We we're growing like crazy. And I brought in Ashley, who's our director of operations, and she has a really strong finance background. Um, but she did a bunch of things. Like the business was not very officially run, 
And um, she like, well, one, we were, we weren't even an LLC. Like we were exploding growth and it was still like a sole proprietor. And so she like immediately got us to do an LLC, um, like got healthcare set up, got like taxes caught up and taken care of and, and uh, all of that. So she came on uh, pretty early on and then has been running that, you know, ever since. And what's your rhythm look like in terms of looking at the numbers with Ashley and, and just going, okay, this is where our profit's at. This is where, it's, uh, you know, looking at the P&L or tax coming, like what's your, do you have a, a monthly cadence or how does that work with yeah. your business? Yeah. So we do that monthly. Um, and we also run open books within our whole company. And mm-hmm. so like our, our revenue numbers are public to, to the world. Um, but then, you know, all of our expenses and everything are public within the team. And so we update those. It's in a big Google sheet. Um, we update that uh, every month. And so basically what happens is as a leadership team, we either jump on a call and run through the highlights that Ashley takes us through, or she records like a 10, 15 minute video saying, hey, here's the numbers in the business. Here's what you should know about. And people can catch up on that um, at their leisure. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, a good good cadence for it. And I'm definitely a fan of paying attention to the numbers because I want to know where's profit sitting at, what's what's in the queue for profit sharing for the team, um, how much can we spend on additional marketing. At which point did you decide profit sharing would be an offer that you would give to people coming on board? Yeah. Um, whenever, let's see, I guess it'd be early 2016, we made this big push to get profitable and I wanted to incentivize the team um, for helping to do that. And so we, we made this big push and we set aside, we, in the period of six months, we went from like one to 3% profit margins, mm. like basically nothing, yeah. uh, up to 50% profit margins, basically by locking our expenses and just we were on this crazy growth trajectory and we, we stopped aggressively spending money and decided, okay, we're just going to support the team with what we have. Um, and that got us on good footing. That got us with three months of expenses in the bank and, and we were able to have our first team retreat of bringing everyone in. Uh, and that was a really special experience. And so in doing that, um, we, you know, we set aside a hundred thousand dollars and we surprised the team uh, with profit sharing. It was actually probably one of my favorite moments in the company. Um, what we did, so there's 20 of us, 21 of us in the company at the time. And Ashley and I, um, set aside a hundred dollars per person. And, uh, we went shopping for everybody and we picked out personalized gifts for every person in the company. So we had a whole spreadsheet. We're like, okay, Brad, what is Brad like? Okay. He likes the outdoors. Uh, you know, he likes whiskey, like just... (laughs) whatever we could. And we bought gifts for each person wow. um, and wrapped them up. Luckily our first retreat was in the mountains outside of Boise. And so we were able to like, you know, we we're using our cars to drive people up there as people flew in. Ashley's in Boise as well. Uh, oh, and we had like these big wrapping parties, like I got my wife Hillary to join us. And so Ashley, Hillary and I would, you know, wrap dozens of gifts <laughs> and put it all together and all this. And so when people showed up for this team retreat, they were blown away uh, like that was our surprise. The first time we did celebrations of like really celebrating how far we come. And then we got to open these, you know, big cardboard boxes that had been sitting over in the corner. People were like, what, you know, what are those? <laughs> um, and like pass out personalized gifts for people. And it was little things like, uh, this one woman, Nicole on our team, she had made a passing comment about, uh, 
like a month earlier about how her waffle maker had broken and that was a bummer. She needed to get a new one because her and her boyfriend's like Saturday morning tradition was to make waffles. Oh, wow. You know, and so like yeah. she opens it and one of her gifts is a waffle maker. Um, and so she's like crying because of that. And, and uh, it was just this amazing moment with the team. And then um, like that kind of wrapped up. Everybody showed each other about gifts they got and things were trying to devolve. Um, and we're like, no, 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 we you know, gathered everyone up again. So we actually have one more thing. Um, and that was when we passed out profit sharing checks for the first time and announced that we're doing a profit sharing program. Um, and for people who had just joined the team, that was like a thousand or two thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. And for the people who had been there for a year or so and had like gone through this crazy time with us, they were getting like ten, eleven, twelve thousand dollars um, in checks just for the last, you know, six eight months, and and they were blown away. And it was such a cool moment. And it's just become a key part of our culture ever since. Yeah, that, that's really incredible. And I, I love that you shared that because I think it gives perspective around what's possible um, when you do grow your company and, and when you can um, put people, like, you know, you understand they, they're a key asset, right? Like for them, if you don't have those team members, ConvertKit doesn't happen the way it does, right? And, and, um, and I think we can sometimes lose sight of that if we get too focused on, you know, the growth and the audience and all these other things, other metrics we have out there. Um, but but your your what happens on the outside is, is evidence of what's happening on the inside. And I think that's something right. that, that I resonate with, particularly you as a human being. Um, it's really cool. Uh, let's wrap up with this question, which is one I always ask our guests, which is what does financial freedom mean to you? Oh, um, that's a good question. I mean, I, I think it's one of those things. Well, so if you look back to 2008, the last recession, um, I was two years out of college or out of a year, year and a half out of college, something like that. Um, I was freelancing, everything that got hit really hard. And I knew intellectually like, okay, everything is on sale now. Wouldn't it be nice to have money into and have money and stability and, and all of that? Um, and I was still single then, but my wife and I got married, I guess a year later. Um, as kind of all of that is happening. And like I watched clients go away and, and all these projects that I thought I was going to get not happen. And I made a promise to myself that, okay, the next time this, this happens, like the next recession, like I'm going to be in a totally different position. And um, so it's one of those things realizing, okay, now I have financial freedom. Like we live on uh, a five acre farm uh, in the middle of town that, you know, we love. And, and so if you have to be quarantined somewhere, it's not a bad place to be quarantined. Um, you know, we have plenty to invest. We have a really stable business that um, takes enough risks, but, you know, we always make sure that we're going to be just fine. We, if we don't grow aggressively, um, no venture capitalist is going to like remove me as CEO and replace me with someone who's going to like push for that exit. So I think financial freedom is, I mean, it's a position that we're in right now, which I feel very privileged um, for, but it's like knowing that if I didn't have, you know, didn't work again, even if ConvertKit went to zero of its value or anything like that, um, that like my family's taken care of and, and we can live on our farm and, and uh, everything's good. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. You know, your, your, your girls are healthy, your wife's healthy, you're good, your parents are there or whoever, you know, is around yeah. you. Um, you've got your acres. Uh, I think that's a lot of people 
that's what it comes down to. You know, it's funny because we, we go in this pursuit to create um, uh-huh. and do, to create value and to be recognized. And these are very human things. Um, but when it comes down to it, like, it, like what you said, if the company disappears, like I got the people I want around me, uh, I'm in good space, you know, I'm fed <laughs> uh, and you can always build a new company like that. That's always there. Right. Um, yeah. Amazing. Thank you for sharing your time and your energy with us today, Nathan. I know you've got some other things to do today. Um, really admire what you've been doing and, and, and our community knows that as well. So uh, we'll definitely link up to all your, like the free offer and, and the free product and other things in, in, in the notes and the fund as well. Um, just a final uh, question is, is there any preferred platform that you like people to connect you connect with you on? Yeah, so you can check out my blog at NathanBerry.com. Um, I would say Twitter, just at NathanBerry. Uh, that's probably where I'm the most active. And then, yeah, if you want to check out the landing pages and the free version of ConvertKit and all of that, you can actually just go to landingpage.new and it will take you right into, into that. We're pretty thrilled. Google gave us the that.new extension. And so might as well play with it. Love it. Cool. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening in and uh, yeah, convertkit.com. Again, we'll add all the links and all the things and definitely check out if you can contribute to the fund, please do. Um, and if you want to apply, you can as well. Uh, Nathan, have a wonderful year and hope you'll connect again soon. Awesome. Thank you. Would you like some resources to help you get on top of your business finances and to prepare for what's coming? We're living in unprecedented times where borders are shutting down Mass gatherings are cancelled and cities, even in entire countries, are going into lockdown in an effort to flatten the curve. In tough and uncertain times, it's more important than ever to rally together. And here at Beanages, we believe that now more than ever, it's important for business owners to understand their numbers and to get on top of their finances. To help with that, we've created some helpful tools and resources for you. And most of these are free. If you head over to beanages.com forward slash resources, then you're able to access all of them.